All right, we are continuing our series. We're on week two of a series we're calling The Joy of the Lord. The Joy of the Lord. And this is based on Nehemiah 8.10. And we'll read that real quick. Nehemiah 8.10, Old Testament, says this. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I've heard people quote this verse, and as I've seen it before, it's just, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you want to be strong? Do you want Jesus to be strong? Then we're going to need to access this joy of the Lord. Because if the joy of the Lord is our strength, and we are the hands and feet of Jesus, and we have no joy, how strong is the church? It's not strong. It's weak. Um, I told the, the first service about the pastor of the church I, I grew up in as a Christian. I was in my 20s, but basically where I learned a lot about God and it was where I really feel like I, I grew up as a Christian. And uh, he was a, a bar owner and just a tough guy uh, before he got saved. And one weekend, he had a real hard weekend, you know, and he was pretty well spent. He woke up on Sunday in the middle of the afternoon and he just thought, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to get saved. I'm going to, I'm going to walk with him because I can't take this. And, uh, so he knelt down by the bed and, and did just like he figured he was supposed to. And, and he, he, he started to pray, but then he saw a picture of a sour church lady. You know, just kind of, he said, it's just kind of floated by. And he was like, oh, they kind of threw him off. And it was somebody he knew. You know what I mean? These were real people. And so he starts to pray again. And another picture of another angry church person goes by. And he's just like, oh. And he shook it off and he started again. And another one came by and he thought, forget it. I can't even, I can't, I can't do that. And it was 10 years later that he gave his life to Christ. Ten years after that moment. If we're grumpy and obnoxious and critical and icky, that does not spread the kingdom of God. It pushes people away who are trying to find an answer for their life. The joy of the Lord is our strength. What if He'd have seen joy-filled, open-armed people? It would have been a whole different experience for Him. And He'd have saved Ten years of unnecessary suffering and pain. Alright, so I've got four goals for this series. Four goals. Things I want to see accomplished as we go through the series, The Joy of the Lord. First thing is, I want you to have permission to seek fullness of joy as part of your calling in Christ. Some people, good Christian people, they feel guilty for being happy. You know what I mean? Like, well, I feel like things are going okay. Uh-oh! I must be sinning against God. I'm happy. Well, guess what? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Being strong is part of your calling. Having joy is part of your calling. So I want to give you permission to seek out fullness of joy so that you can function in the body of Christ the way you're supposed to. It's part of your calling. It's what God wants you to do. It's a responsibility to seek out joy and to get joy in your heart. 
So I want you to have permission to seek after joy. That's a good thing. Second thing, I want us to have wisdom to understand the difference between the joy of the Lord and counterfeit types of joy or what we might call the joy of the world. Like my my pastor mentor guy, um, alcohol was his deal. You know, I mean, that was that's where he went to try to get his life better. He went to alcohol. It didn't pan out very good for him. On the other side of it was just destruction and pain. It wasn't helpful for him. That's a counterfeit way of trying to get joy. Uh, all it does is cover up the problem and then bring you into more problems. That's not helpful. There are lots of these different types of counterfeits. And so we want to know what is the joy of the Lord? What is that? And we want the wisdom to see it for what it is and not chase after things that are just going to cover over our issues and problems and sins or lead us down a path of destruction. We want to see past that, understand that, and see what the joy of the Lord actually is. Number three, goal number three, I want you to actually get it. I don't want you to hear some guy talk about the joy of the Lord, realize you don't have it, and then just maybe feel guilty for not having it, uh, again, like a real good Christian, and never get there. We want to actually get there. Amen? We want to get to the joy of the Lord. And i got to tell you, this morning I'm trying to crank this thing out and figure out what I'm going to say, and this has been a bit of a process. Because... How do we get there? I mean, I can tell you, have joy. You do what I say. I'm the spiritual authority over this place, so I say have joy. Disobedient people, they won't have joy when I tell them to. Well, I mean, that you know, you're not going to get there. How do we actually do that? How do we get to the joy of the Lord? There must be a way to get there. So we're going to have to kind of find out. Because I don't think it's real blatant. I mean, have you ever tried to be happy and it didn't work? I think that happens pretty regularly. Uh, how do we actually get here? What are the practical steps to getting to the joy of the Lord? And then the fourth goal, so I want you to get access to the joy of the Lord. Fourth goal is to have the strength that comes with that. I want your life to have the strength that comes from having the joy of the Lord in your heart. I want your relationships to have the strength that come from having the joy of the Lord in your heart. Imagine if every Christian husband and wife had an overflow of the joy of the Lord so they had more to give to the other person than what they needed, but they both had that. What if every member of every congregation was walking in the joy of the Lord? What would church be like? You know, it would be different. Amen? <laughs> I know, we saw the video. It was very encouraging. But I think we've seen some other examples of where church maybe hasn't been that great. That's why they have videos like that, is to show us, hey, it's not so bad. It's not so bad. 
So we want that strength. We want individually to have that. We want our marriages and families to have that. We want our congregations to have that. That strength will advance the kingdom of God. So, we can't pretend with this one. I've seen a lot of Christian pretending. Have you ever seen that? They're pretending. Now, I appreciate faith. Faith is good, but that's different from pretending. Pretending to have joy when you don't have joy is just kind of weird. You know? It it is. It's it's weird. You know, and you and you you can tell there are certain Christians who you can tell they're trying to do the best they can, but they're faking it till they make it. You know what I mean? They're, they're not they're not there. And now you don't don't tell your sob stories to everybody you meet. You know what I mean? But let's be real. Let's be real. Let's be authentic because we actually need to get here. Pretending isn't going to do it. All right. Let's pray. We'll get into some new, some new stuff. I got till a quarter to twelve, right? Is that, I'm pretty sure that's what I got. Excellent. All right. Well, let's pray and believe for something good to, to happen today. Father, I just thank you for your holy scriptures. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, that you guide us by your spirit and you guide us by, um, by your word. Just bless this time now. Lord, we're seeking You for something. We want to be able to find access to the, the joy of the Lord. We want, to, we want to get there, Lord, because we know that's where Your kingdom is strong. That's where we, uh, where we get to live in the middle of Your promises. So Lord, help us get there today. Bless our time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm wrangling through this this morning by the way, wrangling through this. It's a quarter to seven. I got nothing written down. I'm talking to Trinette. I'm like, hey, you got to help me out here. I'm in, I'm in real trouble. And uh, so I presented something to her. I said, now here's, here, this is kind of what I think the Lord is showing me. And uh, she said it sounded pretty good. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's all right. And, uh, but that she hadn't heard that before. So I thought, well, okay. Um, I think it's fairly obvious. And she thought, yeah, that seems obvious. Um, but let's, let's go there because I think there's something important to figuring out how do we actually get to the joy of the Lord? How do we actually get there? We actually want to get to the joy of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord is a fruit of the Spirit. So Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruits of the Spirit, says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, Fruit is produce. It's a product of something else. Like I'm planning to grow green beans in my garden. 
They grow good in a cold climate. I usually do fairly well with the beans. I'm planning to grow beans. I haven't planted them yet. If I planted my bean seeds after church, would I be able to send green beans with Trinette to a women's group tonight? If we really prayed real hard, if, if, we, if we just like, let's just pray real hard that we have green beans tonight, would that be a reasonable expectation? That we would have green beans tonight? That would be miraculous. Um, but I wouldn't expect it to happen. The fruit takes time to develop. The fruits of the Spirit take time for us when we're walking in the Spirit to develop. We need to spend some time in the middle of God's will, doing what He's showing us to do, completely submitting to and obeying God for the fruits of the Spirit to start producing. And even then it will take some time. As Christians, we want things now. We don't even want to have to ask. You know, we like to quote that Scripture, your Father in Heaven knows what you need before you even ask. Like, well, then why do I have to ask? You know, it should already be taken care of. And then something goes wrong. And we're like, God, why didn't you do something? And, you know, we're always wanting things instantaneously. Now, there are some things, spiritual things, you can get instantaneously. But there are other things that need some time to develop. How long does it take you to get forgiven? Ask, it's done. It's already been bought and paid for. It's there waiting for you. Every individual in this place and outside of this place, there's a big pile of forgiveness with your name on it in heaven, ready to just be poured out on you. It's already there. But the fruit of the Spirit, this love, this joy, this peace, these are things that need to grow in us over time as we walk with God. Now, I can't, again, like we talked about earlier, I can't just blame you and say, look, the fruits of the Spirit is this, so you better have it or I'm going to be mad at you. This isn't something that you grit your teeth and do. You don't just grit your teeth and have peace. You don't just grit your teeth and have love. You know, it just doesn't work that way. You've got to spend time in the Spirit, in God's will, doing the things He's called you to do, and individually and corporately. So, both individually, which we love that in the United States, we hate the idea of group religion. Do you know what, what the first word in the Lord's Prayer is? Our. He taught people to pray as a group. Not as individuals. Not personal relationship. I mean, we have the personal relationship between us and God. But He didn't teach them that. He taught them group relationship between them and God. We forget about the group part. And I tell you, it takes the whole group in order to get this joy in its fullness. You can't do that on your own. Yeah, It's a group thing. So, the fruit of the Spirit takes time to develop. If we're going to get to joy, we need to walk in obedience for periods of time. Alright. So far, so good? All right.
Sounds good? Let's do this then. See if I can knock you over a little bit. The failure forgiveness cycle is not going to work to get to joy. If we're going to fail and then cry out to God for forgiveness and then fail again and cry out to God for forgiveness, is there forgiveness then? Sure. Is there joy? No. You can be forgiven. Well, let me ask you this question. We'll talk maybe about marriage in a little bit. Can you go to heaven and have a terrible marriage at the same time? Absolutely. Do you have to have a terrible marriage to go to heaven? No! The marriage thing, it can, it can be terrible or it can be great in this joy of the Lord sense, but failure forgiveness as a cycle is not going to produce a good marriage. If, if the husband hurts the wife, says he's sorry, does it again, says he's sorry, does it again, says he's sorry, does it again, that's not going to produce a good marriage. If the wife does the same thing, that's not going to produce a good marriage. You get forgiven by God, but you're living a miserable life. Is that going to attract people to Jesus? No, horrible marriages do not attract people to Jesus. We need to have actually good marriages. Amen? We need to have the joy of the Lord type marriages where there's overflow of joy in both parties. Because, you know, marriage isn't a 50-50 deal. It's a 100-100 deal. You both have to give 100. If you're going to give 50 and you expect 50 from the other, there's too much leakage. You're not going to end up with 100. You know? The bucket isn't going to fill up. That's just the way that goes. So... A lot of Christians think failure forgiveness is really the plan. I mean, this is what we do. You're a terrible, worthless worm that does everything wrong. You ask for forgiveness, you get forgiven, but you're still a terrible, worthless worm that does everything wrong, so you have to ask for forgiveness, and you're still a terrible, worthless worm. That, boy, is that the good news of Jesus Christ? Is that the gospel? Is that, that's a mess. That's not going to get us to joy. You can be forgiven there, but you're not going to find the joy of the Lord. You're not going to develop that far because you're really not walking in the Spirit. You're just walking in sin and failure and misery. All right. Here we go. Let's do the history of the nation of Israel in three quick... in. 45 seconds. Let's do 45 seconds. 45 seconds. Got to make up some time. Okay, so there's this guy, Abraham. We could do it all the way from the beginning. So God wants to create the, the kingdom of God. Super awesome forever. People are there. They mess it up, so it's not going to work. Let's kill everybody. That didn't work. Had the flood. You know, okay, well, now let's just take a people out of all of the other people, and we'll have Abraham. So God chooses Abraham. He says, this is a man of faith. His descendants are going to be the chosen people. So Abraham starts living his life. He's given a great promise that doesn't come for 25 years. Man, that's a long time. They go, they live in the promised land, they go to Egypt. Everything is good, you know, land of Goshen, everything's nice. But then generations pass and the Egyptians basically enslave the entire nation of Israel. They're all enslaved. But then they, they Moses comes and they're going to, 
get broken free. So they break free of their captivity and they're on their way to the promised land. When they get to the promised land, they check it out and there's giants in there. The land is awesome, just like God said, but there's big scary giants. And so they, they go, oh, we don't want to go in there. So God says, all right, go to the desert then. So they spend 40 years in the desert. All the people who are scared to go in die. And then they come back and try it again with the next generation. They see the giants. They come in. They beat up all the giants. They take the land and live happily ever after. Okay, well, they got into their place of prosperity. They got into the promised land. But then they got complacent. They didn't like each other very much. Israel broke off into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and they were mad at each other. The northern kingdom got hauled off into captivity. Then the southern kingdom got hauled off into captivity. And Jerusalem is burned. The walls are knocked down. It's a mess. And then the cupbearer to the king, whose name is Nehemiah, Wonders, I wonder how it's going back over there with the remnant that's left, the few people that are still in Jerusalem. He says, how's it going over in Jerusalem? And the report is, it's going really bad. The wall is down. The gates are burned. They're not safe. If anybody wants to come and kill them, they can come and kill them. It's terrible. And his heart is broken and he thinks, we need to rebuild the wall. And so he comes back and, and he's used by God to rebuild the wall, rebuild the gates. Ezra's there rebuilding the temple, you know, because it's all just destroyed. And then... They come together and it's church day. It's finally church day in Jerusalem and that's where we pick it up in Nehemiah 7.73. And this will get us to our verse that we read on. Nehemiah 7.73 The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, and the temple servants along with certain of the people and the rest of the Israelites settled in their own towns. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, All the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And they and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. How long was the sermon? Daybreak till noon. Now these people, remember, there's all this captivity, they're in a foreign land, they're coming back. This is a restoration time. It's getting started again. They had forgotten what was in the book. And so the people are being retaught what's in there. Things they're not familiar with. And they are thinking, we're going to start this all over again. Let's do it. So they're listening attentively. That was not a long time for them. In fact, they would have kept going. Let's, let's go to verse 4. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for this occasion. Beside him were a bunch of guys. Verse 5. <laughs> Ezra, oh, <laughs> that's my version. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, Ezra had the crowd. You know what I mean? Like, they were there. They're like, let's hear what the book has to say. The Levites, all those guys, instructed, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. So this wasn't just reading, this was also explaining. 
So this is like sermon stuff. This is, here's what it says, and if, if you're not sure what that means, let's explain it. And they went through and they explained it so the people could understand. They read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. So it's church day in Jerusalem. The walls are built. The gates are restored. The temple is beginning. Ezra's reading the word of God. Why are the people weeping? I think there's a few reasons. One is they were reading the promises in the Bible that said, if you walk in my ways, you will live long in the land and you will prosper. But if you don't, you'll be scattered. And they saw, oh no, we were scattered. They could have avoided this. We didn't have to be hauled away to Babylon. They didn't have to go to Assyria. We didn't have to be destroyed. They saw what they lost. But they also read the promise that said, but if you turn, I will gather you back from the nations. And they were living that moment out. And to hear the words that were written generations and generations ago, and you're living the moment right at the time, it would have been just amazing. So they're weeping over what they had lost, what didn't need to happen, and they're weeping over the mercy of God. And that brings us to our, our verse for the series. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing to prepare. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Rather, what do you do on a sacred day? They say, you party up. Now they had church all morning. They had six hours of sermon. And then, it was hitting them. You know what I mean? You ever been in church and <laughs> it hits you. It was hitting the whole nation all at once. And so they said, guys, you know what you need to do now? Because they, they were experiencing repentance. It wasn't like they needed to be shamed into repentance. They were already there and they needed to be bought, brought through it into joy. Because how long does it take you to get forgiven? Boom! Just ask. And there it is. They had seen what they were missing. They had seen the kindness of God and they were weeping over that moment. And they said, you need to have a good time. And everybody does. So if there are people that don't have things to eat and drink, you get stuff for them. And everybody needs to have fun today because this is a sacred day. You have a good time. How many times do you hear that nowadays? This is a sacred, holy day. So we all need to have a good time. That was the answer back then. If you're looking at the most practical application of how to get the joy of the Lord, it's food and drink. <laughs> and and good company. That's what it is here in Nehemiah. That's grilling chills, man. We're ready to go. Getting all Old Testament that way. 
All right. The history of the nation of Israel, it's amazing how it maps on to just one individual life. You know, like Abraham hears a promise from God and it just doesn't come. And it just doesn't come. And it just doesn't come. And then things start to go better, but then they end up enslaved in Egypt. And they need to get free from Egypt. They need to get out of that bondage. And they do. They get broken out of that bondage. People get bound up. They get enslaved and they need to be set free. This failure forgiveness cycle, it's just being a forgiven slave. But you're still in bondage. A forgiven slave goes to heaven, but that's not where the joy of the Lord is. That's not where effective, productive service to God happens. That's just miserable people who are finally going to get to go to heaven. That's better than going to hell. It's not going to accomplish much for the kingdom, and it's miserable. Why would you want to be there? So you've got to get free from the slavery, but then, guess what? There's giants in the land. There's obstacles to overcome. There's difficulties and trials and struggles and opposition. And you've got to conquer that. And we see that in our own lives. We have these things that we have to conquer. But then you get free from all that. You conquer all this. Then you get to go into the promised land. And you have to stay there for a while for the fruits of the Spirit to start growing and producing. And then joy happens. Joy doesn't happen in the failure forgiveness cycle. Joy doesn't happen when you run away from the giants and go wander in the desert. And joy doesn't happen when you spend 15 minutes in the promised land and then leave. You have to stay there. I've got more to say, but this is a series, so I'll just put it off till next week. I'm going to have the ushers start start handing out the communion elements. It's communion Sunday today. But let's let's apply this again to marriage. So if if you've got a terrible marriage, can you go to heaven? Absolutely. But you don't need to have a terrible marriage. In fact, if the husband and wife actually do what the Bible says, you're going to end up with a great marriage. People don't know what the Bible says because it's been, what's the word for that, like mistranslated? Somehow, people have gotten the idea that a good Christian marriage is where the husband's a jerk and the wife just has to put up with the husband being a jerk. Show me that. It's not in there. What the Bible says is that the husband is the Jesus of the family. The husband is to love his wife like Jesus loves the church. The husband is to love his wife with an epic love compared to the greatest love that has ever been on this planet. I tell you something, she will respond to that. Husbands, your job is to love her as much as is humanly possible with every piece of who you are. That's your job according to the Bible. You do that, your marriage will get better. It doesn't say if she deserves it. It says you do that. 
The wife's job is to respect the husband. The husband needs to be respected just as much as the wife needs to be loved. It's the thing that builds guys up. God made us that way. I would change it if I could. Um, That's how we are. So imagine getting out of the failure forgiveness doom loop, getting past the obstacles, and getting into love and respect. And it's been that way for 10 years. And there hasn't been a deviation from it. And that love is growing. And that respect is growing. How is that marriage going to be? Oh my goodness. That's a marriage that the world would look at and say, how do they do that? How do they do that? Is that the example Christians are giving to this world right now? No, we're pretty much over there. Let's get out of there. Let's get into the promised land. But you got to get free from those things that are chaining you up. you got to overcome those giants. Don't be afraid. Conquer them. We're more than conquerors. Amen? And get into the promised land because only after you get there is the joy going to grow? Are the fruits of the Spirit going to actually happen? Because that's where we're doing the Spirit stuff. And that's where the fruits of the Spirit will grow. What if we're here or there or we don't know what to do? Hallelujah, we have the blood of Christ. I am so thankful that I can fall flat on my face more than once and be picked up more than once. Amen? Falling on my face hurts. And it hurts other people. So I want to get out of the failure forgiveness thing into victory. But if I need forgiveness, it's there. It's waiting. And that's what we celebrate when we take communion. That the blood of Christ is sufficient to forgive us of our sins. The Bible says we're supposed to be perfect. You know that? Just like God. We're supposed to be perfect because our Heavenly Father is perfect. How are we doing? I'm telling you what, I know we can all be perfectly forgiven. Completely, totally, perfectly forgiven. That's the place to start. Jesus let His body be broken and He let His blood be shed. And that was for us. Just like the nation of Israel was restored from captivity and brought back. And they felt that moment. So we, even if we've wandered, can be restored and brought back because that promise still stands. Let's pray and then we'll partake together. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your grace and mercy. I thank You, Lord, that You love us and You care about us. And that that's not something that we earn It's just something that You have extra of. And so thank You for that. Lord, help us to walk in Your ways. Help us to seek out this joy, this love, this peace that Your your Word talks about. Help us to seek it out. And I thank You that the price has been paid, that when we make mistakes and when we don't quite get there, that we can be completely forgiven and that we can start off again, a brand new starting line, ready to go. Help us to run forward. We thank You, Lord, for what You've done.
and we remember it today. This is the body of Christ which was broken for you. Praise you, Lord. And this is the blood of Christ which was shed for you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. You are so kind, so gracious, so wonderful. I'm going to invite the prayer team forward. And as we, as we close in prayer, I want you to check your heart and see. I think everybody can use individual personal prayer. Some days you should come down. And so check your heart. Do you need individual personal prayer? Do you want to receive some of that? We've got the prayer team. They're ready to go. Um, so I, I'm just going to close the service and then if you want to come down, receive some prayer. Otherwise, when you go out, I want you to find somebody you don't know and encourage them a little bit. Amen? Because this is a group thing. We'll talk about that probably a little bit more next week. So let's just close in prayer. Father, we honor You. We give You praise. We worship You. Thank You for being kind to us. Help us to reflect Your love. Help us to be lights that shine. And Lord, help us to bring Your joy to this world. We know we need it in our hearts first before we can share it because we can't share something we don't have. So Lord, help us as we seek out this joy that we can get hold of it and that we can serve You with it and show You to be strong. I pray a blessing over each one in this place. Give us strength. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Again, say hi to somebody you don't know. Otherwise, come on down for some prayer.